This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 361. That's what's so cool about mobile homes. I think it might be the only asset class that you can actually transport these things and set them up. And that's a great exit strategy is you can buy them in one park, you know, rent it out. If it's not working out, you can go ahead and pull it, put it in another park, put it yeah. on its own piece of land. So there's just all kinds of exit strategies that made me feel confident that, hey, look, even if this doesn't work out now, I know it'll work out somewhere else. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David the Grinch Green. What's up, man? How did you find out about my nickname? <laughs> <laughs> the Grinch. I used to be really much Grinchier than I am right now. Working mm. as a police officer, sleeping three hours a night, we'll, we'll do that for you. But now I'm a much happier Green. Wow, you are. I, I never thought about your last name. And he's Green. You're a, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I assume Hi. that's why you were going with that, but I gave you too much. That, that's, I didn't. Yeah, no, I'm not that clever. Well, David, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all that good stuff. Uh, it's coming up here. And if you're listening to this the week it comes out, this is Christmas week. It's we're coming up on it. So it's a it's a busy time of the year. And I just had a little baby, which uh, little Wilder Turner is now here and we're not sleeping at all. But, you know, that's life. We expected it. It's pretty fun, though. Well, Merry Christmas He's to cute. you guys. And I cannot wait to meet this little guy. Um, now there's yeah. someone other than just Rosie to play with when I come out there. Which exactly. You, well, you won't he, play with can't really play with a. Yeah, you can't really play with a three-week-old. You're like, hey, buddy, you're throwing him around. He's just bawling his eyes out, Don't, just wants milk. You're just going to be another one of the people that have doubted me. I'll find a way to play with a three-week-old. <laughs> yeah, well, didn't it take you like two years for Rosie to even like look at you in the eye? Uh, well, I, she still won't look at me directly in the eye, yeah, but I can be in her presence without completely freaking her yeah, You have to like bring her a bear and be like, look at what I got that's for what you, it is. and then she'll be happy. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, hopefully hopefully wow. Wilder warms up a little bit, a little bit easier than... Yeah, he's gonna be a little. He's gonna be a little strong, little dude. He already like in 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 the womb. Like every picture we have of him in there, his like arms are up, like he's flexing, like his muscles. And then when he came out, like that's all he does, twenty four seven. If he's not in his little swaddle, his arms are up like muscles. Like it's really cute. Anyway, so he's gonna be a little muscle man. With that said, it's time to get on with today's show. And by the way, David, I am officially inviting you out to come see uh, a little Wilder, your little. uh, your old nephew Wilder. Yes, so come say I've hi. been waiting for this. I've actually been telling people whenever I do bigger pockets <laughs> webinars to message you and say congratulations on having David's nephew instead of your son. Yep. <laughs> oh, I've been getting those messages every <laughs> every day. This is what you used to do to Josh Dorkin and absolutely drove him nuts. And now I get to do it yeah. to you. Yeah, there was a uh, there. So actually, this is a funny quick thing. Then we'll get on with today's show. So like five years ago, uh, I made some joke about like something about Twitter and saying to Josh, knock, knock on his Twitter. So Josh on Twitter is at J.R. Dorkin. Let's let's revive that. Let's go back. So go on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, go to at J.R. Dorkin and tweet to him and just write the words knock, knock. I don't even remember what the joke was originally, but he gets hit up so often with this knock, knock thing. Let's let's bring that back. He'll uh, he'll get a kick out of that. Right on. All right. All right. Well, let's get on with today's show. So today's episode is with a buddy of mine named Tristan. So Tristan is a real estate investor out of the Bangor, Maine area who invests in both mobile homes and mobile home parks and some other cool stuff. And uh, he is just a rock star. In fact, he's actually here in Maui this week, staying with me and... uh, I guess we thought it would be fun to get him in the in the sea shed and recording this uh, episode. So that's what today's episode is. But before we get to that episode, let's get to today's quick tip. tip. All right, so today's quick tip. We mentioned this like a week ago, but I'm going to say it again now. We need your help. We need you to actually go to biggerpockets.com slash podcast survey and fill out a quick survey. It'll take you just a couple minutes uh, and let us know a little bit about what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, what do you want us to do in the future? And there's some questions like that. So go there again, biggerpockets.com slash podcast survey and let us know. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. 
Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. And so without further ado, I think it's time to bring in uh, Tristan for our interview with Tristan Thomas. Tristan, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me, especially live in Maui. It means a lot. Yeah, Appreciate live it. in Maui. Yeah. All right. So for those who don't know, Tristan has been helping Ryan Murdoch, Mindy Jensen, and Carl, Mindy and, Jen, Mindy and Carl, and I on our mobile home park out in Bangor, Maine, uh, filling those spots because you are a mobile home mad I don't know what you want to call it. You're, you're like LeBron James of mobile homes. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I try. I try. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that today a little bit on how you've done what you've done uh, with mobile homes because it's really kind of a cool strategy, cool niche that we never, I mean, we haven't talked about mobile homes. I'm not talking parks. I'm talking about homes since like John Fedro back okay. in like the, yeah. I don't even know, like the less, true guru. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's been around forever. <laughs> and like that was like early, like the first year of us, yeah. of us doing the podcast. So before we get there, though, like the actual specifics, how did you get into real estate? Like why real yeah. estate? How'd you get into that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I come from an entrepreneurial family to begin with. I've always had a knack for making money, you know, I had paper routes, stuff like that. Uh, but once I got into college and got, you know, a little bit more serious about, you know, uh, financial wealth and stuff like that, I realized as everyone does, they come to a realization that, you know, someday you're probably going to be looking at a nine to five job. And I absolutely hated yeah. that idea. So I was like, crap, how, you know, how, how do I make some money here? So I actually started looking into penny stocks. You know, I was in college just trying to make any way of making ends meet. And I remember watching CNBC and seeing Grant Cardone on there talking about multifamily real estate. And uh, my dad had a few rentals and stuff like that. So I kind of understood it and uh, just kind of clicked with me. So I went on to Google and I typed in uh, multifamily real estate, enter and bigger pockets popped up. And uh, I clicked on Bigger Pockets, and almost the rest is history. I mean, I was religiously faith- faithful to Bigger Pockets for three years. Uh, yeah, I listened to all your stuff, read all your books. I mean, I played Division One basketball in college, so all the the road games we'd go on, I'd be on the bus with earbuds in and listening to all your content, absolutely just soaking it in. In fact, I say that I that I got a degree in exercise science, but I studied real estate. You know, I just <laughs> absolutely all over it. So, you know, graduated college, moved back to Maine, uh, started doing taxes with my dad. He's a tax accountant, completely hated it. 
said, you know, this is not, not real estate investing at all. So, you know, my back was against the wall. Me and my girlfriend were actually living with my dad at the time. I had to do something, but I didn't have any money. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of stumbled upon mobile home investing and, uh, you know, it's a low risk, high reward type thing. I only needed a few thousand dollars, which luckily that's all I had. So me and my dad first, you know, we got the first few and, um, you know, it kind of happened really organically. As I got into it, I realized, okay, this might be a niche that I can really explode in. And then, you know, Ryan Murdoch comes into the picture and it kind of was a cool symbiotic uh, relationship. He kind of taught me a lot about multifamily real estate investing, which at the time I still really wanted to get into. And at that time he wanted to get into mobile home investing. So, uh, you know, we'd go out for, you know, food every week and uh, we'd meet and uh, just kind of help each other out through there. Um, Fast forward to maybe a few months after that, I had a huge epiphany. I woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning and uh, I just said to my girlfriend, holy crap, I've got it. Let's do, let's start a mobile home company. You know, let's just do mobile home flips, rentals, let's do the whole nine yards. So again, that started another descent of absolute immersion into some content. I completely went away bigger pockets from that point. And when, you know, John Fredro, Frank Rolf, the whole nine yards, and I uh, just been busting my butt on that as hard as I could for the past three years. And fast forward, have 51 units, have my own mobile home park, trying to help you guys out as much as I can. And uh, yeah, it, through daily massive action, I've just kind of acquired and here I am in Maui. So it's worked out well. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yes. Yeah, Tristan's staying with me for a few days out here in Maui. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, let's go back. I want to like, that was like, I love that you gave the entire view of your business because like, we should do that more often. It's like, get like the whole idea of, right. yeah, you were prepared. You, you heard a few of these podcasts before. So I want to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Like what attracted you to mobile like, let's even go yeah. deeper than like, what is a mobile home? What are we talking about when we say mobile home? Because there's different ways people call mobile home, modular home, trailer home. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Absolutely. Mobile home and what I'm considered mobile home is, uh, you know, a single family dwelling that's uh, not I guess, permanently attached to the ground. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's up on blocks, it's skirted, it's still attached to, you know, your water sewer electric. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of asset class, that, you know, people call them trailer parks. It's really not trailer parks anymore. It's actually really interesting if you study the history of these things. At one point in time, mobile home parks were actually some of the wealth, wealthiest uh, you know, living in America. Um, which is, you know, rather fascinating if you ask me, but, you know, moving forward, it's, you know, just like I said, it's a, you know, it's a, a single family housing dwelling. Uh, it's cheap. It's low risk. You know, it's really what I fell in love with it. You know, I only had a few thousand dollars. So I think the first one my dad and I did together, I think our all in investment was 7,000 bucks. Um, you know, so it just really worked out well. Uh, we owned it free and clear, you know, there wasn't any mortgage on it. So we really, really didn't have a lot of, um, you know, risk. Um, and that's just why I fell in love with it, you know, and it's, you can pick them up one at a time and, and, you know, I think for anyone starting out, you know, I think the biggest fear for a lot of people is risking their money. You know, I, when I was talking to Ryan a lot about these four units, you know, Bangor, Maine, you know, these things were going for one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars yeah. And I'm looking at a big mortgage that's over my head for 30 years. And without fully knowing what I'm doing yet, it, it just scared me, you know. So I kind of I kind of went towards mobile homes because, again, it's just super low risk. I understood it um, and it really got my feet wet for real estate in general. So. Walk us to that very first deal, seven grand into the entire thing. Like what, yep. what do you buy? What did you buy this thing for? Yep. What did you put yep. into it? Like how, how did, I mean, I don't even understand entirely like how the mobile home investing works. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we, we literally just did a drive for dollars. We were driving through a park and seen a for sale sign and, uh, you know, walked up, knocked on the door, talked to the person. They were selling it for, I think like 3,500 bucks, um, 14 by 3,500, 3,500 bucks, 14 by 70. Um, I think her daughter had lived there. The pipes had bursted the previous winter. It was vacant. You know, it was, it was, I probably wouldn't touch it now, but you know, I was young, green, didn't really know what to do. I just wanted to get into the space, had a little bit of cash. So, uh, you know, I think the ceilings needed to be redone. Uh, there was mold, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we sunk maybe another 3,500 into it, some lot rent over the time. Uh, YouTube taught myself a bunch, you know, I didn't have a lot of money to rent out the con, you know, to contract it out. So it just kind of happened organically. And then, uh, we sold it off and, and made a heavy profit and then pushed that off to the next few. So you basically um, flipped it. Like- yeah, basically. I mean, we actually rent, we actually rented it out for 12 okay. to 14 months first, made our money back real quick. Um, and then we ended up selling it off. So, I mean, my criteria here is I don't touch a mobile home unless I can make my money back within 10 months. Um, and that's a John Frederick one shout out to him, but yeah, I mean, it's just driving for dollars was how we found the first one. It just kind of fell into my lap and it worked out great. I really like that you're, you started off driving for dollars because we talk about that a lot, but you don't hear many people share stories of how they were successful. What are some things you learned while driving for dollars that helped you create a system or become more efficient at finding deals that way? 
No, absolutely. I mean, while you're driving for dollars, it's, you know, it's a great opportunity then to, you know, stroll into the park manager's office, shake their hand, introduce themselves, you know, introduce yourself to them and tell them what you're doing. And really you want to angle it as, Hey, look, I'm here to buy your homes. You don't want to angle that at all. They don't, you know, they have people asking them for stuff all day long. They don't want somebody else coming in and asking them for something. So I try to angle it in. How can I help you out? So, you know, I would go into these park manager's office and say, Hey, look, you know, do you have any homes that are vacant uh, that aren't producing any lot rent for you right now? You know, this is what I do. You know, I'm a professional background, stuff like this. And that, that really helped out a lot building relationships. And then from there, it really, it really grew like wildfire. It was a lot of word, word of mouth action. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's, it's a massive daily action. I mean, every day we woke up, we were, we were going through parks, making stuff happen. So it took a little bit to get off the ground, uh, but eventually we got there. So, so the, the biggest objection people have to mobile homes, like trailer homes or manufactured homes, however you want to call it is yeah, but don't they lose money? Yeah. Like, don't they lose value? Like, don't they lose value, it's, Tristan? It's, yeah, it's hilarious that you say that because I remember back in my three years of absolute, uh, you know, religious following of bigger pockets. You yep. know, you guys have talked about mobile home parks before, and I I remember reading articles how they, you know, where they were bad asset classes to buy. They were decreasing in value, and you know, I just actually went back then. I just, you know, I was like, oh, I guess you know, I won't go after that. Yeah. Uh, but once you know, my back was against the wall, and I really only had one way to go. Uh, you know, I kind of swallowed my ego there. I mean, it's not the sexiest asset class either. You know, there's a lot of stigma that comes with it in this day and age. So I had to swallow a lot of that and just kind of blare through it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really worry about what other people think about what you're doing. It's all about your own personal happiness. And uh, I stuck with it, luckily. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of walk through some numbers here a little bit. So for example, that first deal, you bought that thing. You can buy, typically buy a mobile home for cheap. Like you're talking, I mean, 35, is that ridiculously cheap or is that? That's around average for what I'm buying. It's completely market dependent. I mean, okay. you know, we're up in the Northeast sure. in Maine, uh, so it's completely different. But, uh, you know, I've gotten mobile homes for free uh, mm-hmm. that were great. And I've gotten mobile homes for free that were complete pits. Uh, but I'd say on average around three to $6,000 is what I buy them for. Um, and then obviously you got to equate rehab expenses, holding costs, the same thing with any other asset class. Um, that's what's really unique about it. It's the same kind of rules that I've learned all along. It's just, I put them into that own asset class and it ended up working out. All right. So that, that first, like a deal like that, you buy it for, let's say 3,500 bucks, maybe 5,000, maybe 2,000, whatever. The idea is then you fix it up. Are you moving a home into a new park? Are you moving it across a town to another yeah. park or do you stick within a park and yeah. you're just trying to, and then do you rent it or do you sell it off right. seller financing? So when I first started out, you know, I was, I was scared about moving these homes. They're super expensive to move. I didn't, again, I didn't have all, uh, you know, a bunch of extra money to move these homes. So I was just, I was just looking for homes in parks that needed to be fixed up. So that was really my focus. But as I got more experienced with this, I started to learn that certain parks would actually sell uh, for, you know, higher priced homes, depending on the park quality. Um, so then I could go around and pick homes out of other parks or other areas and bringing them into specific parks and, you know, raise rents to higher values, uh, charge more for, you know, for a flip, for a purchase price. So it got really complex there, you know, once you really start getting involved with these things that you can start pulling them out. And that's what's so cool about mobile homes. I think it might be the only asset class that you can actually transport these things and set them up. And that's a great exit strategy is you can buy them in one park, um, you know, rent it out. If it's not working out, you can go ahead and pull it, put it in another park, put it on its own piece of land. So there's just all kinds of exit strategies that made me feel confident that, hey, look, even if this doesn't work out now, I know it'll work out somewhere else. Yeah, that's good. So I want to, I want to even go more simple than this for people who have just never, cause I mean, I kind of understand the mobile home thing cause yeah. I'm in it. Right. Somebody's brand new. There's a popular uh, Reddit thread called explain it to me like I'm five. Yep. How does somebody make money with mobile homes? They're five years old. They usually explain it to my yeah. daughter, Rosie. Who's yeah. Three. How- Absolutely. I mean, how would I explain it is there's really, I think there's a barrier here that people just, they don't understand it. So they just think it's some massive complex thing. It's yeah. not, there's really no difference than any other asset class. So I look at it as a single family house, you know, rental, um, you know, so it's the same type of process that when you go out and you buy, you know, a foreclosure house uh, or an auction house um, and the same type of thing, you, you find something that has good value and you know, that will rent good um, and you fix it up over time. It's the exact same model with pretty much all of that just put in a different unsexy asset class. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really kind of the easiest way I can put this. I think a lot of people just kind of overlook uh, how complex it might be. And it's really not. I mean, the reason why I really, really love it is it's just, it's affordable housing. You know I mean? With the way this world's going, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, in my opinion, it's just going to continue get get to a point where people are looking for cheaper and cheaper housing. You know, we got all the baby boomers downside, downsizing, uh, downsizing and 
it's just it just made sense to me it just clicked so I, again it's it's nothing i'm not doing anything special it's just i took what i had uh, in my means and put it to something that i could actually do and had the money for um and it was the exact same thing as any of these you know big time guys that you have on here that have 100 uh you know single family homes it's the exact same thing you know it's a single family dwelling uh, just it usually is in a community with other single family dwellings um so yeah that makes sense so do you like renting them out? Cause I know we're at our park, right? We're selling them off on seller financing. Yep. What's the difference and why would you choose one over the other? So really the difference with seller financing, it's, you know, these people, they, they like home ownership. They want to have their own thing. A lot of the people that we sell our finance to, they've never owned a home. They've never actually had something that they can call theirs. Their habitual renters is what I call them. So we get a lot of people that actually have closings with us to end in tears because they've just never owned anything of their own before. That's cool. um, you know, so they have uh, pride of home ownership and uh, take care of their stuff. And that's something you don't really see in the demographic of when you rent to people, you know, yeah. renters, they're there short term. They don't care. They'll leave the windows open in the middle of winter with the furnace on 80, you know, so that's that's really the difference. I definitely side towards rent to own, owner financing again because you find that better uh, tenant quality base. But you know, in some instances, in some park, it is more beneficial to rent. So again, it's really gauging your own market, finding out what's going to work, um, and really, it's you know what you like. Some people love getting called, uh, you know, at midnight with toilet calls. But me, I just wanted to get completely out of it. I'm seeking uh, you know merely financial freedom and trying to just offer the best kind of product I can to uh, want to be homeowners. So okay. So how much money like per home are we talking about here? Yeah. Like, and how do you make, is it a you spread? I'm sure. Walk us through those numbers a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. So on average, I'd say my all in investment with a home is about 10,000 bucks. And again, how that works is I, I normally, I don't want to go over $10,000 because normally when you break it down to the numbers, that takes longer than 10 to 12 months to make my money back. Okay. Um, and for me personally, that's just my criteria. I don't want to wait longer than that. So I'll usually find a home. I would do my budget on how much the rehab is going to be, how much the holding cost is. You have to equate lot rent, all that stuff. Um, and then as long as it comes in below $10,000, I pull the trigger on it. And then as far as scaling goes, I mean, I've, I've really been a huge fan. And again, I, maybe you coined this, maybe you didn't, but o, OPM. OPM. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't mine. Okay, it's OPM, old other people's money. Uh, that's yeah. uh, that's really what puts me a little bit different scenario than other, you know, like some friends of mine are trying to get into it as well, is it really accelerated me as, as it does in any asset class. You know, I was able to use some of my own money to start out and then really, you know, like my girlfriend's dad, my dad, I mean, some people really came in with influential money to where I could really just, it's as hard as I wanted to work, you know, it was yeah. my full-time job at the time, I could wake up every day and just say, okay, you know, how are we going to get another home? And for me, it was all about units, the more units, the more financial freedom and, you know, et cetera. So, uh, you know, anytime you can use leverage of other people's money, just like in any other asset class, it works perfectly with mobile homes because again, it's, it's low risk, high reward. You know, you're getting the same kind of cash flow you are, if not more off a four unit, but yet at the end of the day, you don't have a $200,000 mortgage hanging over your head. Yeah. So you're cash flowing a hell, hell of a lot earlier. Yeah, that's so. cool. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, so $10,000, you're all in on a thing. What is that rent for? And because there's a lot rent too involved yep. here. So how does that, how does that break up? What is exactly does it rent for yep. typically? Yeah. So again, it's just going to be completely dependent on your market, but like in, in Bangor, Maine, on average, a three bedroom might go for about 950 bucks okay. uh, for rent. So it's, a, it's about the Plus same lot rent or is that included? That's just, rent? that's just everything. So like, a, okay. I can afford you. And if you were to rent a unit and a four unit, it'd be about 950 bucks for a three unit. Well, it's, it correlates the same for a mobile home. So what I do is I just take that 950 minus out the lot rent and then that's their rent. So usually we're renting these things, rent owning these things out for about six or renting these things out for 600 bucks a month okay. and they pay their own lot rent, um, which again, it gives them a little bit more pride of home ownership when they're actually going down to the park manager, giving them their own mortgage payment basically. So yeah, I, I, we don't really pay lot rents. We make them pay them um, and it just helps us that way. We're not sending out a million checks a month. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Let's say you get something under contract right now. Really good deal. Walk us through what your checklist looks like for your due diligence. And then once you close, what are the things that you have to do to get that thing ready to rent out? Absolutely. So, I mean, and again, just like with any other asset class, you have to have great due diligence. I mean, um, you know, if you buy, if you buy, it's really easy to buy an overpriced bad property, just like with anything else. So, you know, when I walk into a mobile home, you know, I, I always look at, you know, four things. I look at, you know, what's the roof quality? Um, sometimes with these older mobile homes where, where they've redone roofs um, and it's a heavy roof, sometimes the, the floors will bow, um, you know, so you always want to look at the roof. Um, you always want to look at the furnace, uh, you know, obviously, especially being in the Northeast, that's, you know, it's like the AC down in the South. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> 
everything. Yeah. Um, you always want to look at your plumbing. I mean, with mobile homes, I mean, these things have been out since, you know, the 1940s, 1950s. And, uh, you know, I've, I've bought plenty of 1950, 1960 homes uh, with old piping, but, you know, these things are also very cheap to rehab. Um, so whenever you see a home that has all, it's really about the updated fixtures, you know, so whenever you see something like that, you know, it's probably a good deal. And then lastly, I look for electrical, you know, pre-1976, before HUD came out, they used a lot of aluminum wiring, which is a big fire hazard. Um, so you definitely have to know your stuff just like with anything else on what you're looking at. And then, you know, if all those things are checked, and then go through and then just find out the motivational, uh, the motivation of the seller, you know, just like with anything else, if you have a motivational seller, you're going to have a better deal. So, you know, normally that, and these things, these things are awesome. I mean, they're in, at least in Maine, they're considered personal property. So it's not like we have to go through a title search or attorneys for closing or anything like that. You know, 99% of the time, it's just me and the seller hashing things out right on their, you know, right on their living room. And then, you know, when, once we agree on a price, I normally try to put it under contract right then and there, sign a simple PNS agreement. And that's purchase, a closing date, purchase, purchase and sale agreement. Okay, yeah. Cool. And then set a closing date. And normally we try to work with them. Again, we want to be advocates of, of making life easier for them. Um, so we normally try to say, hey, whenever you guys, uh, you know, can get out, let's set closing for that. And sometimes we're, we've released funds early so that they can afford to, you know, hire a box truck to go and rent and, you know, move their stuff. So again, it's really just trying to find what's going to work with the seller and functioning it together that to what's going to make a deal, you know, and every one of these things is different. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get it. This is, this is such a cool business model. I remember reading a book like Lonnie deals or yeah, something like that back yeah. in the day. Right. So and it sounds like that's similar to what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For, okay. for the most part. Yeah. All right. So the idea being, I mean, this is just to make it real simple. Like you're finding these homes for dirt cheap, 3,500 bucks. Let's just say you're then putting some money into it. Maybe you're moving it. Maybe you're not depending on where it's at. Right. So now you're in the whole thing for 10 grand. Now that money might've come out of pocket or you might've used one of the many creative strategies we talk about. So you're in this thing for $10,000. Now you're renting this. Now they're, let's say there's two part portions. There's maybe they're paying their own lot rent or maybe you are regardless. Above lot rent, you're making five or $600 a month. About, yeah. All right, so let's say you're making, let's say you're making 600 bucks a month in extra money every month from yeah. renting it. 600 times 10 months would be 6,000. So $7,200 for a year yeah. you're making. And then they probably put down some kind of down payment. Absolutely. Yep. So now there's your 10 grand back. Exactly. So you yep. just made a hundred percent return on investment within 12 months, within 12 months. Yep. I mean, like, like there are very few. Now the cool thing after that is now going forward. It's now, I mean, just pure profit. So let's just say, I mean, again, 10 grand out of pocket and now you're making $600 a month. You're going to have some repairs and maintenance in there or not really. How does that and again, work? it's just dependent if you're going to be doing rentals or rent to own. But I mean, okay. if you choose the rent to own path of uh, home ownership path, yep. which is what I would suggest, you know, there, there's really no rent, uh, there's really no repair and maintenance costs. You know, these these people they're taking pride of home ownership in themselves. When their light bulbs go out, they're doing it themselves. They're not calling the bank to come in and yeah. and and do it for them. Um, so you know, as you can see, as you're starting to walk through the numbers yourself, I mean, you can see how in love I was with this idea when my back was against the wall and I needed to make something happen. It was like, you know, holy crap, you know, this actually exists. This is a super low yeah. risk investment asset class that really no one wanted to dabble in because it is such a, you know, it has such a bad stigma, which, you know, if you actually took the time to go and read through and study and talk to some of these residents, you would understand that, you know, they are no different than any other, you know, um, average asset class with apartment buildings. It's yeah. just, there's no difference. It's just for whatever reason, the stigma in America today kind of shoots down this idea. But for me, I, you know, I didn't really care what other people's thought was. I just, I was trying to, you know, go after financial freedom and to, you know, offer a good quality to a wanted home buyer. So. Yeah, that's really cool. What's what's so cool about this, Tristan, is that like a person who doesn't have a lot of money, maybe they've got 10 grand saved up from their job. Yep. Maybe they can borrow that from a friend of a partner. They could take 10 grand potentially, yep. find a home, you know, that for cheap, remodel it, be making actual cash flow now, four, five, six hundred dollars a month potentially in cash flow. And because you're seller financing them or rent to owning them, the tenant is paying their own maintenance and repairs. Yep. So now you've got cash flow coming in that's fairly stable because they're probably paying their own water and sewer and garbage, right? Yep. Usually. So like you're just getting cash flow. So if you do that once, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to learn some stuff like I'm sure you did. Yep. And you can do it again. I mean, how many of these would a person need to own? I'm not asking you, it's kind of yep. hypothetical, but I mean, how many do you, do you need to be able to pay your bills and have financial freedom 
starting with almost nothing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a completely uh, per person case, case yeah. by case basis. You know, I mean, for me, we were living pretty frugally to start out and I didn't need much. You know, like I said, we were just living with my dad and probably needed maybe two or three grand to pay everything. Yeah. Um, you know, so it eventually got to the point where we were able to scale to a point where, okay, we've had our basis pay. So I guess maybe we officially hit financial freedom. Well, what's next? You know, so yeah. we, we absolutely love to travel. You know, it was you know, awesome coming out here to Maui. So, I mean, we really just said, okay, well, what's next? So let's, let's travel more. So it was just, it just became kind of a game for, for instance, that, you know, I already knew I already had a proven track record to go out, get these done. And then I, we've just been spending the majority of the money on, on traveling. I mean, we've gone to nine countries so far this year and they've all been mobile home money. Um, you know, so if you were to take me back in you know, three years ago, almost crying in my dad's tax office about miserable I was yeah. to now sitting here in Maui all over this bad stigma, you know, mobile home asset class, it's magical for an, for an instance. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, really good. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. When it comes to finding your deals, share a little bit about what that process is like for how somebody finds mobile home deals and maybe what you're doing that's helping you be more successful than the average person. 
Yep, absolutely. So at least with the Northeast uh, or in Maine, mobile homes are considered personal property. Um, you know, so a lot of these things, they're not uh, in parks, at least. Um, they're not on the MLS. So it's not like your traditional, you know, somebody just goes on MLS trying to find properties. Really what's worked out best for me, and it's probably the same for any other single house family dwelling investor uh, who just does normal single family house investing is, uh, you know, I have bandit signs. I have like five things I absolutely use that are just like the power, the, the biggest lead generators I've had. Okay. Um, five you know, things. Five things. Right. You know, so number one would absolutely be bandit signs. So bandit signs are we buy, sell mobile homes for cash, okay. you know, with, with our Google voice number. Park managers absolutely hate it. If you go and put them right in their park or right at the entrance. So what we've done is we just put them on all the major intersections around all the parks in the area. Okay. And in my experience, we put up maybe three or four and they just flooded with calls uh, for people who want to buy and sell. So that's an instant free lead generation tool that I use. Um, additionally, Facebook marketplace has been huge. It's kind of like the MLS for these mobile homes. And it's the same type really? of thing. There's going to be overpriced crap on there, but eventually there will be some really great deals that people either don't understand the value of their home or they're motivated sellers. They need to move. They lost their job. They just need cash quick. So what I found works out best on those is the second we see it, we just jump on it immediately. I mean, I've, I've had things where they've been on it for 30 minutes and I'm at their house the next minute, you know, it's right there in town and, you know, cash in hand, ready to make it happen because I understand how much it's worth. I understand all that stuff. Um, so again, I mean, it really goes to understanding your market. Number three would absolutely be word of mouth. Like I said earlier in the podcast to you, David, I mean, we, I'd go around and introduce myself to, you know, park managers, mobile home movers, all kinds of people in this industry and just, you know, say, Hey, look, you know, young guy trying to get into it uh, and offer finders fees, you know? So once people get a taste of a little bit of money for free, just by referring you to something, again, it's no different than any, any other asset class is, uh, you know, that's word of mouth reaches very fast. So we get people who call us all the time. Hey, I heard you from so-and-so. Driving for dollars, again, that was how I started out. We do that almost on a weekly basis. You know, it's, it's awesome to get out in the car anyways. Uh, it's good to keep in touch with mobile home park owners, uh, which is something I'm trying to get onto now. But, you know, you can always see, you know, a lot of these people, especially the older generation, they don't want to upload pictures to Facebook Marketplace or something. So they just stick it for sale by owner, sign yeah. right in the front, front window and hope it sells. So that's really where a lot of good deals come from. And then lastly, like I already kind of touched on a little bit, the mobile mobile home movers, they're seeing these guys every day. They're moving homes. They're talking to people. So, I mean, those are really my five biggest uh, lead generators I use that, uh, you know, and they're all free. I, I don't spend yeah. any money on, on any of that stuff. I mean, Craigslist ads is another one that you can definitely throw something on, but it's, uh, you just got to go out and do it. So here's what's so cool about that or about, park owners too. I mean, as an owner, as a park owner. So we have all these empty lots. I mean, like I purposely will buy mobile home parks now with vacancy. I want that because I know that if every home I bring in there, I mean, this might get a little bit deep for people. So if you're not quite following this, everybody like, you know, listens carefully, but basically here's the idea. If I have a lot rent, let's call it $300 for one of my, one of my park spaces, $300 is what it brings in just in lot rent. Now, I'm not paying water, sewer, garbage. There's no additional expense to me having a new home in there, really. Maybe a little bit of management, but let's just call it $300 in lot rent that I'm getting. Over the course of a year, that's $3,600 in extra revenue in my pocket as an owner of a mobile home park. Now, on a 10 cap, which is a way of valuing real estate, like commercial real estate, basically it means that my property is going to be worth uh, an extra $36,000 more just by having somebody else's home in my park. Per pad. Per pad. <laughs> At a five cap, it's $72,000. My value of my park has gone up by bringing in one home. Now, if you, if I get, and this is why Tristan, like how many of you filled in our park now? Like uh, eight. Eight. Yeah. So like Tristan in the last year has filled eight homes in my park in Bangor, Maine. Every one of those now is generating like, what are we at lot rent now? Three, 320. 320. Yep. Like, that's like what 80 or $90,000 in value potentially on every one of those by bringing them in. And guess how much work I had to do? Not much. Like you did all the work, yeah, you yeah, did all of it great. and you make money by doing so. That's right. Right now. So if you were to come in and like do that with other parks or other people listening to the show right now, are like, how can I get started in real estate? If you find a mobile home park operator in your area and you're like, Hey, can I fill homes in your spot? Like, why would they not want to yeah. take you up on that? Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. it's just like, Hey, free, would you like some free extra money? Right. Would you want to add like tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in value to your life? Net well, worth? It's really a, just like with anything else in real estate, the best way to, to make money in real estate is finding somewhere, an avenue where you can add value. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes it so easy for you to get into the game here is because there's a lot of mobile home park owners like Brandon and others, others in other states that 
it's, you know, it's real capital intensive and labor intensive to bring in these homes, you know? So if you have somebody who's trying to get into the industry, you don't mind doing some legwork and orchestrating the deal, um, you know, you can really make some noise and really make some good business connections, uh, which again, like Brandon just said, I mean, it's, it's at that point when, once you have the connection set up, it's, it's easy money uh, to an extent, you know? So it, it's, it's really easy to go and add value to these mobile home park owners and say, Hey, look, I've noticed you have two or three lots available in your park. Would you mind if I brought in some homes and maybe at that point you can ask for a concession on, on lot rent, yeah. you know, like, Hey, give me three months free lot rent and I'll bring in my home. And uh, they understand the value of these things, you know, they're businessmen. So, you know, that's really what it's been huge for me is, you know, finding these business connections, adding value to these people. And again, it's, it's this symbiotic relationship of money, yeah. um, which is cool. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Tristan, I know that investing in mobile home parks, like you've mentioned, can be really good. It can also be just like all kinds of real estate, really scary. You buy in the wrong market, you buy in the wrong area. It doesn't matter if you do everything right, you're going to lose money. What are some criteria that you look for when choosing a market that you want to start, you know, putting out your bandit sides and putting up signs and putting out the word that you want to buy in that area? No, that's a great question, David. I mean, I really use four, uh, you know, criteria markers whenever I'm considering, uh, you know, buying a home in a different area or just in general. And this is something I would suggest to anybody kind of wanting to get into this space is number one, I mean, you just don't go, just like with any asset class, again, you know, you just don't want to go out and buy some overpriced something just because you can. Um, you really got to understand the market value of these things. So, you know, I spent, you know, the better half of eight months researching in my area, you know, what these things are going for, or, you know, what's a motivated seller look like, you know, exactly what's a good deal. Um, you know, so that, that was a big one for me is understanding market value of these things. And, you know, number two would definitely be finding out the motivation of these sellers. I mean, that, that's, that's a screaming deal for any asset class, but especially these mobile homes. I mean, these things turn over so easily. I mean, with a loss of a job, with a, you know, move to somewhere else, I mean, you can really add value again to, you know, somebody who is, is an impinch and needs to get out quick, you know, because one thing a lot of people don't understand, especially with this asset class is you're always paying lot rent every month, you know? Yeah, so if someone yeah. loses a job, and they need to go and move in with a family member or a friend, they're still in charge of paying $300, $400 a month lot rent. And as you can imagine, with someone who's already paying, you know, mostly paycheck to paycheck, that gets really stressful. You know, so when you can come in and add value, you have cash in hand, you know, can alleviate their pain right off the bat, they're in love with it. They're all over it. So that works out really well. One thing I also look at is you have to understand how much time this is going to take, you know, so it's completely market dependent again in Maine, you know, things in the winter are always slower, you know? Um, so you have to understand your, your, how much time you have allotted to this. And then last thing you got to look at, you know, what's your money situation looking like? You know, how much money can you allot per deal, especially if you're trying to scale? So again, I mean, I know I say this a lot during this episode, but there's really no difference between what I do and every other asset class uh, in, in, in real estate investing. It's the same concepts that I learned from three years of diving deep in the Bigger Pockets podcast that I've just applied to this odd, unsexy niche that's just completely blown up in my life. So as uh, I think Jefferson Lilly once said, it's an unsexy niche, but it has sexy pro uh, profits. So <laughs> I kind of uh, go by that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. So what are some of the things that people should be aware of in terms, because you, you, you were telling me this yesterday about understanding the legalities and how like how title works yeah. and how like, like what are some of those things that you can warn people like before they just jump in? Yeah. What, what should they figure out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's two big things and that's the thing. You just don't want to jump in on this thing. I mean, I took months to educate myself. I was calling, you know, uh, bus business directors of Maine or whatever, mobile home associations. And you really have to understand what you're doing because I mean, as is with anything else, there's a legality to yeah. this thing. You have to be professional. Um, so there's really two things. It's either personal property or considered real estate. Um, you know, so luckily in Maine and there's a slew of other states that there can say if they're in part not attached to land, they're considered just personal property, which you can sell these things easily on a, you know, on a backside of a napkin literally would be a legal way of selling these things. Oh, yeah. You know, so you just definitely want to go through, I mean, I, I've spent all kinds of money with attorneys drafting documents to build sales. I mean, you just definitely want to make sure, I mean, it's no different. You're still in real estate. You're still dealing with money, other people's money. You want to make sure that you're covered. Um, so I'd highly suggest if you wanted to get into this, you go to your mobile home park association. Every state has one, give them a call. They usually don't do any, you know, not a whole lot on a day-to-day -day basis. So they'll be thrilled. <laughs> If you call them, they'll talk your ear off for hours. So that's, yes, somebody yeah, called exactly. us. Exactly. Free, free yeah. information. You know, uh, Bigger Pockets Meetups is another great one. I mean, whether people really understand it or not, you know, these mobile homes are simple beasts and uh, people will always have great, uh, great advice because it correlates so well with all other types of real estate investing. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, absolutely. You know, go to an attorney, spend some money, 
make sure you're doing it right, have a slew of documents. And again, if you go to your mobile home park association in every state, they usually have free legal documents that are 100% you know, legal because they've dealt with them. Yeah. And uh, you know that's a, that's a great way not to go to attorneys and make the mistake I did and spend several thousands of dollars. But uh, there's always information out there. It's just really, you got to put yourself out there, ask questions. With me, it's 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 nice because I'm young, I'm motivated. So I you know I, I work out really well with, with older guys in the game who I can really just kind of attach, be a sponge, uh, learn as much as I can. And then again, always try to add value back wherever wherever i can and it always is nice when that uh, correlates with financial and financial freedom so it works right. out well well i know you recently bought your first park so you're getting into that world as well uh but where do you see yourself long-term headed more parks more homes like what's the next five ten years look like for you yeah no, that's Besides great. helping me fill out my, my <laughs> yeah, parts. that's right. That's 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 priority number one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, the long term goal for me, honestly, is is I don't really like dealing with tenants. You know, okay. I, I got into real estate investing not to be a landlord. I got in to be financially free. You know, I want to do what I want when I want with whom I want. Yeah. Those are kind of the three markers that I that I wake up every morning and say, if I can do these things, three, these three things, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, so my long term goal actually is to get out of this space at some point. You know, I think it's really smart for me to dive in hard now while I'm young and motivated, and eventually sell things off, and I would. Absolutely. I'd fall in love with lending money, you know, mm, banks, yeah. they make the most money, the easiest yep. money, you know, they'll never get called. It doesn't matter. You got to pay your mortgage every month. So Dave Van Horn, you know, the notes, real yep. estate investing, uh, lending. I mean, that that's really where I see myself here in five to 10 years is getting out of this daily grind of finding mobile homes, you know, crawling underneath mobile homes and, and stuff like that and getting more into the lending aspect of things to just a lot of hands off stuff. And I can come back out here to Maui and go surfing with you guys and not have to worry about any of my real estate stuff. So, <laughs> Sounds all right to me. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, before we move on to, well, but yeah, before we move on to the next segment, I'm just curious, why did you buy a mobile home park? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was really evident to me when I, you know, I think I had maybe 10 mobile homes at the point where it really just kind of hit me. I said, okay, well, each month, all my residents, they're all paying lot rent uh, to the park owners. So I did the numbers and it was something crazy. Like all, all my residents at the time were paying like $7,000 a month to these mobile home park owners. I was like, it just makes, you know, it's just like, okay, so if I get a park, then I'll be getting that $700, a month plus the rent or the rent to own payments. Yeah. Um, so it, it just really clicked. It was the, it was just the next natural avenue for me to take that next step, step into commercial real estate. Um, and again, it was the same thing when I first started, it was a big daunting task that I took little by little chunk by chunk. I went to Frank Rolfe's mobile home park boot camp twice, once yes. with Ryan Murdoch. And just, you know, again, it was the same thing what I did with bigger pockets. I just submerged myself in mobile home park knowledge, you know, books, podcasts, everything I could do. So there was really no difference, but uh, that was just the net, next natural step for me was uh, mobile home park. And, it, and it's been great. It's really a lot cooler with that because it's on a lot more magnitude scale than just at one individual home. Yeah. You can walk into a park, as you know, or really, you know, any uh, big multifamily, uh, you know, apartment complex. And you can, if you have any kind of vision, you can start seeing things. You can see value add opportunities. And in, at least in my area, I saw a few parks that had a lot of value add opportunities. And that's where you make your most money is if you're not afraid to get down and dirty and, and really just add value to something. So like in my park, to be specific, you know, there it was, it was kind of more of a rundown park. So I knew if I could just come in there, paint up some of the homes, do some landscaping, pave it, stuff like that, it would increase the park's value for one. And it would also increase the atmosphere of the tenants, the, the quality of tenants and all kinds of stuff. So it's been really cool for me to go through the process of actually owning a community um, and and seeing my, my dream kind of come to fruition. You know, we've put in water sewer lines from scratch, electrical poles, lights, pads, you know, it's, it's wow. literally like, you're owning kind of a mini city, city yeah. and yeah. Uh, and you're dealing with city officials and all kinds of stuff. And it's just, it's like playing Monopoly in a way, you know, it's just kind of cool to piece it together. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of pride myself, especially with my community is having a, you know, a nice, safe quality community for these residents. And we've just, well, we've been blown away by the feedback we've gotten, you know, uh, one, one gentleman said to me, you know, I've been living here seven years and you guys have done more in two months than the previous owner did in seven years. You know, they're wow. blown away. So it's just been a really fun, cool process just to go through it all. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's head to the next segment of the show. It is our deal deep dive. Ah. 
What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon. I want to take a quick break from this podcast to invite you to this week's webinar, How a Newbie, meaning a new real estate investor, can start building wealth through real estate. Because look, when you're beginning to invest in real estate, it can feel overwhelming, right? Where do you go? What should you do? What should you buy? I don't want to make any mistakes, right? That's why this is a must-attend event. Look, if you have fewer than five properties, do not miss this. You're going to learn the different strategies and niches you can take, some of the common mistakes that investors make, some of the best and worst strategies for new investors, and a whole lot more. We're even going to be looking for a real-life deal on the market together. We're going to run the numbers and find out how much we should pay for it and how much we'll make if we buy it. It's going to be a ton of fun, super helpful. Again, if you have less than five properties, you better be there. Biggerpockets.com slash newbie webinar. Again, biggerpockets.com slash newbie, N-E-W-B-I-E webinar. I'll see you there. All right, this is the part of the show where we dive deep into one particular deal that you've done. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit, like we're going to fire a bunch of questions at yeah. you about one of your mobile homes. So yeah. uh, you got something in mind? Yeah, okay. absolutely. So first question, what, let's see, what type of property is this? Yeah, uh, a mobile home. All right. And where, <laughs> where is it located? Uh, in Maine. Okay. Um, Number two, David Green. How did you find this property? Yeah. So this one, it was a unique one. I'd actually originally spotted this one out. This is actually a really unique story. So I just bought a house on the water on a lake and we had a septic, uh, a septic inspector come out and he did a septic design or an inspection on our, on our property. Long story short, two or three weeks later, I get this call out of nowhere from the same gentleman and I answer the phone. Hello. And uh, he says, hello. And I'm like, you called me. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I just picked up the phone and I was calling you. I was like, oh, and I I didn't know who he was at the time. And I said, well, I, you know, I buy and sell mobile homes. Is it something about a mobile home? He's like, mobile home? No. Although I have a mobile home for sale in my driveway. No way. So it it just got going. And sure enough, I took a trip down to him. He had a beautiful 14 by 80 mobile home in his driveway that, uh, that he had just come across at some point and um, we hashed out a deal because I was going to move it up to my park. I bought it for 7,000 bucks and uh, it was great. You know, I was like, sweet. I just filled a spot in my park. Long story short, uh, fast forward a couple more weeks, I get a call from a guy, you know, because we're getting leads in all the time. And he says, hey, you know, my, my dad just died. He, he left me 25,000 cash. Uh, I'm looking for a home. Do you have anything? And I put two and two together. Like, yeah, absolutely. I got one for 23 grand. And he's like, great, let me come take a look at it. So we drove down to the guy's driveway. I, you know, asked him if we could come beforehand. He said, absolutely. We, he took a look at it. Not even three seconds into the home. He's like, I'll take it. Um, he had cash. Oh, he didn't have cash. A banker's check with him right there. And there it is. I mean, I, so you basically wholesaled it. it. It was a wholesale deal that happened wow. extremely quick. I went down twice, one to buy it, one to sell it. We netted about 16 grand on it. And it all <laughs> happened awesome. by a guy who just accidentally called me. He literally yeah. butt dialed me and I made 16 grand off it. That's so funny. That's might might be my best deal. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that covered a lot of our questions here. So last question, what lessons did you learn from that deal? Good lesson I learned from that one is just what I should have done to him beforehand is just always hold business cards with you. Always tell people what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one thing. I mean, especially in this asset class, a lot of people try to just stick to their own. Uh, but one thing I've learned, especially one thing, you know, Ryan Murdoch's really shouted me out with is, hey, look, go and talk to people. Go out to these BP uh, meetups. Go and go and go and call people around. At, find a mentor and just tell them what you're doing. You'll never, ever know. Like the septic guy, yeah. butt, butt dial me who has something that might be of value <laughs> to you. And in my case, it was a huge value. So that's so funny. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, next let's get over to the world famous fire round. Fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right. These questions come direct from the bigger pockets forums and we're going to fire them at you. They might not be specifically related to mobile home parks, but they should all apply to you. Hopefully number one, Josh Miller from Kingwood, Texas posted this. So my tenant has been great paying on time. I received a complaint from a neighbor unit that the tenant is smoking weed inside the unit. I do have a no smoking policy in my lease. I also have recently been told by the tenant smoking that she will be leaving when her lease is up at the end of April. So that's like six months from now. What are you gonna do in that? What would you do in this situation? Absolutely. So especially when it comes to cannabis, it's a lot, it, it gets a lot more intense now that states are trying to, you know, starting to legalize these. Maine is a recreational legalized state. So what, at least what my rule is, uh, I just ask them to do it outside and you know, or at least open up the window. I guess I've been really good with being personable with my tenants. I try not to come in with, you know, I'm the landlord, I'm the hammer down and just tell them what to do. I usually explain to them that, you know, that it's sensitive to other people and that if you could just be, uh, you know, accommodating to everyone else who's living around you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of he might be in a hard situation if he lives in one of those states because you kind of m- maybe have to let him do it. But yeah, even if you have to let him do it, I would still suggest trying to work with him to with other tenants involved saying, hey, look, you know, 
Let's yeah. have some common sense here. Yeah, and definitely you can still, if you, I mean, even if it's legal, doesn't mean that they are allowed to leave to it inside. In building. Exactly, right. yeah. Absolutely. So uh, but then it's, it's hard there because it's like, they're going to be leaving in six months anyway. So how, I mean, yeah, how much can you? I, I wouldn't yeah. push it too hard. You know, this is, again, you know, Ryan Murdoch has given me some great advice throughout the, throughout the years. And I've actually had similar instances. And he's always said, you know, look, as long as everyone's still paying their rent, and as long as people are semi-happy, you're providing what you should be paying. I mean, you should be providing. Yeah. You know, so again, I would just look at it on a case-to-case basis. As long as people aren't withholding rent from you, um, you're probably safe. Uh, again, just pretty much let the tenants try to deal it out. We're all adults here. Um, and really landlords, I try to stay out of it as much as I can. And then I'll always document everything. Whenever I talk to a tenant, I always document it just, just in case anything comes back. So. All right. Yeah, good. Awesome. Next question from Sean Rhodes in Portland, Oregon. Hello, I'm currently self-managing my seven-bedroom house hack and renting by the room. I'm wondering if anyone knows of the best software for me to use. I would like to have it include the ability to have a digital lease, rental applications, and possibly electronic rent collection. I think that's going to depend widely on how many units you have. And again, something I learned off bigger pockets when I first got it started out, I think it's like up to 10 units. You know, I worked really well with just Excel spreadsheets, mm-hmm. um, you know, just simple tracking devices. Uh, but, uh, you know, the more and more you scale and the bigger, and bigger you get, it's, it's so much more complex. And, you know, so finally I've gotten to the point where I've just hired a property management company okay. um, and they use rent manager software. You know, there's a tons, tons of softwares out there, but it just makes it so much easier, especially as a landlord point of view, you can just go into a portal and then you know, see what you have access to. But but uh, yeah, I wouldn't get too bogged down with the books or of all that. I would. Uh, it's well worth it to just ship that off to somebody else to take care of for you. Uh, but yeah, the smaller you are, try to do it yourself. It save a lot of money. Excel spreadsheets. The bigger you get, shoot that off to somebody else. All right, good answer. Uh, number three, ironically, from another person named Tristan yeah. in Commerce City, Colorado. I'm just curious of how long everyone typically waits for a contractor's bid to come back. I know a lot of contractors have tons of work available, so there, there's a lot of delay in yeah. getting it back, and some of them just don't care. Mm. How long would you wait before moving on to find another contractor? So I, I tend to be super aggressive when it comes to, you know, getting a property. And I am sure it's with everybody. You have holding costs. You know, you, you, you have an investment invested. You want to get your money back as fast as possible. So if I don't have a contractor that's super excited to work, to work with me and sees yeah. my value moving forward, uh, he normally never even gets a call back. And so, I, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've been in this, you know, long enough to where I have two really solid crews that take care of basically everything for me. We've developed a system just like with everyone else that whenever I have something, they can basically go right into it and knock it out exactly how. I want it to. So again, I think starting out the contractors that don't call you back, they're probably going to be late on their work. I wouldn't give them any time of day. Um, I would just continue trying to call until you find that one. You're always going to lose out on contractors. They're a dime a dozen. You're never going to have one for your whole life. I would just move on. It's, it's, it's a respect thing at that point. Um, so yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. This next question is a good one from Wade Penner. My tenant won't be home during some upcoming maintenance in which a heater replacement is going to take place. This could take a few hours. It's a trustworthy company doing the installation. I need to let the installer in, but do I have to wait around until they finish since the tenant isn't home? It seems unrealistic for me to be present during every type of maintenance, but I just want to double check. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of not getting pulled out of my house whenever a con- you know, whenever we have somebody coming in installation something. I also love being involved though. So I would definitely show up, get them started on something, and then normally normally I, you know, I end up leaving as long as you know you you do understand their quality of work and you, you trust them and all that. Um, normally if I'm not around, I try to have at least another tenant keep an eye on things or I'll tell him, hey, if you need anything, you you know, unit one is there, they're home. Um so absolutely. I mean, as long as, and again, it comes back to the trust thing. As long as you trust them to do the work correctly, absolutely. I think you're fine leaving and not having to be there every time. But if it's the first guy you use, I usually stick around all, all yeah. the time just to make sure he's doing stuff correctly. Because uh, these guys, you, yeah. you never really know. Yeah, you never know. I like to offset that to the tenant. And so I'm like, let me hook you up with the tenant. And then yeah. the, if the tenant gives permission, yeah, come to my house, yeah. then I, I'm really, I know I'm fine. Yep. And if the tenant doesn't, uh, I'm curious, Ryan Murdoch's hanging out here uh, recording us today with the videos. What would you do in that case, Ryan? So like if a tenant, if you had a repair, like on a furnace, let's say, and your tenant wasn't going to be home all day, would you allow a contractor to go in and deal with, like, would you allow a contractor yeah, to go yeah, in and deal? Chances are I would have, have a relationship with that contractor. Already. If they were brand new, let's say you never worked with them before. How do you, that's tough, isn't it? Yeah. I probably still wouldn't meet them there. Yeah. <laughs> the situation, on what they're doing. But, yeah. Uh, if they're licensed and bonded, they're yeah, probably yeah, fine. Come get the keys for me, schedule it with the tenant and then go in and do, do what you got to do. Yeah. Makes sense. If either side puts up a real fight, then maybe you would get me there. But generally, I try to avoid that. Yeah. What would you do, David? 
I I would do the same as you because if you make the call, uh, the te- the guy's going to be here. I'm not going to be waiting, and the tenant doesn't like that. They could just claim the person took something and want you to pay for it. And now the contractor's saying I didn't steal anything. The tenant's saying they did. You're sucked into a bad battle. If you stay there for three hours waiting, the tenant could still do that. They could say you stole something. I just wouldn't want to be in that unit without a tenant there. Just because I have the right to be there doesn't mean it's like the right move. So I would do what you said, Brandon. You take yourself out of it. You tell the tenant, hey, I got someone to replace your water heater. This is the handyman. This is the contractor. Here's the number. Call them and tell them when you want them to come. And if the water guy or the heater you know, installation guy tells the person it's going to be three hours and they say, well, I can't be here. It's their call not to be there, not your call. And if they want to wait the three hours, then let them schedule it for when it does work for you. You don't have to play the middleman and do that. So I think, Brendan, your advice was really good and it reduces the liability on the landlord the most. Nice. Well, thank you. All right. Good, good, uh, good segment there. That was fun. Kind of a landlording edition of the uh, fire round. Uh, Let's go to the next segment, though. The famous four. All right. This is the part of the show where we ask the same four questions that we ask every week. And we're going to throw them at you right now. Question number one of the famous four. Do you have a favorite real estate related book? Absolutely. Yeah, no, this is going to sound a little cliche, but absolutely. It's a book by you and your wife, uh, Managing Rental Properties. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely didn't have, have that prepared in advance, but I'll explain why. <clears throat> when I was in college, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what you were advertising at the point. I'm not sure if I didn't have the money for it or what, but I actually downloaded the ebook nice. uh, from it. And Illegally? <laughs> no, no. Illegal. It, it might have been. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> Pirating. It might have been free with a purchase of something else, uh, but I downloaded the ebook and I was in college and and I actually went to the library and printed off all, you know, whatever, 250 pages wow. and put it in a three-ring awesome. binder. And uh, I just spent months and months combing over that thing with a highlighter. And it, it, it honestly, it paid tenfold into what eventually would have been my business uh, to, you know, the systems I had in place. I mean, the filing cabinets, the inbox, you know, uh, the whole nine yards of exactly how to organize your your, your, your business and your company. So, you know, from a starter, uh, trying to get into the, into the business, I always got my feet wet with real estate, but that by far was probably the best book to get me organized, which as you know, organization is, is huge when you're trying to get into real estate investing. So yeah, that was absolutely good. Shout out to you and Heather. Thanks man. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. totally going to take that whole segment and put that on the sales page for that book. Cause that was great. All right. Um, next question, David Green. Next question. How much did Brandon pay you? You pay for my trip to Maui. Yeah, there you go. He gets to stay in my, in my Ohana unit. There you go. Smart man, Tristan. Okay. The real question, what is your favorite business book? Yeah, no, that would have to be Mastery by, I think, Robert Greene. Yeah, okay. um, I read that early on in the real estate investment career. Yeah, we and, had him on the show. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. Uh, he talks a lot about the 10,000 hours that it takes to become a master, and he gives all kinds of examples. And I think people really overlook how much time and dedication it takes to be great at anything. You know, a lot of people like, get in touch with me, you know, they just want to be an overnight success. And I think that's with, that, with everything. They just want to do it and get it done with and be, you know, successful. But, you know, as I learned with back, basketball. And as I'm learning with real estate, it just doesn't happen like that. You have yeah. to be, you know, like, like your quote up here, I absolutely love it. You know, you have to be in the arena. You have to have the scars on your face. You have to work through it to be called a master. And I think that's why there's so few masters in this world. Wow. So. Great answer. Love that. And little known fact, Robert is my uncle. Awesome. That's not, <laughs> that's not even true at all. Total Yeah. I taught him everything yeah. he knows. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Next up. What are some of your hobbies? I absolutely love to travel. Like I said, we've, I've been fortunate enough to make it to nine different countries this year. Um, I, I, I love the thing of, about financial freedom. Um, I absolutely love doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Uh, we just bought a lake house, love, love my dogs, love hanging out in the water, um, spent a lot of time with my girlfriend. But uh, yeah, I pretty much don't do a whole lot besides real estate investing and uh, trying to travel. So Very cool. All right, last question for me. What do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I and I know I've heard this on the show before, but absolutely, it's it's fear, um, and that's why I think my you know what we've talked about today is such a unique asset class. Is this really minimizes your fear to almost zero? Besides wholesaling and stuff like that, I think people just get so overwhelmed with a big audacious goal. Um, and this is a really easy first step for someone with just a few thousand dollars to get their feet wet into this. Um, so I absolutely think that just people get you get too scared. That, 
or that and, and matched with they just don't have a big enough why uh, they don't get out of bed with a huge desire burning desire to be successful each and every day so i think that mixed with fear makes a deadly concoction of people that just don't take action um, so i think if you have a strong why you get out of bed with a desire to be successful each and every day and you just live with no fear as easy as that sounds uh, you know one way or another over time through massive daily action you will succeed it's just massive daily animal. action there you go i love it dude i love it great answer yeah. all right well that's all Last i got question of well i got one more for him well, that's, all all I got. I, that's all i got that's all i i got david i wasn't <laughs> yeah, about you not all it's about not all about you david you all the time <laughs> narcissistic norman i swear <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to say three words in this episode and you shut me right out. All right, Tristan, this is about you. So tell me, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I try to stay hidden under a rock most of the days, but no, absolutely. Anybody can absolutely reach out to me whenever they want. Um, Instagram, I think you guys will tag some of the handles I there. Um, email tristan.thomas24 at uh, gmail.com. Absolutely willing to talk to anybody about it. I, I clearly love this stuff. I eat, breathe, sleep it every single day. So I'll talk, I'll talk anybody's ear off. You'll probably get more than what you actually want. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out. All right. Yeah, we will put that in the show notes, of course. Biggerpockets.com slash show 361. And I'll have links to all your social profiles there. In fact, you're on Instagram at... TRThomas14. TRThomas14. And uh, you can follow... Oh, Tristan, how am I not following you? Now I am. Follow back. All right. That. Sorry, dude. I wasn't following yeah. you. Now I'm I following you. I'm Maui first. I'd be on the podcast. Exactly. Right? Now you're officially being followed. Man, I'm really friends. Now I feel like a moron not following my own guest on Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Awesome. This was Appreciate fantastic. All right. So with that, I guess we're just going to take off because, uh, you know, it's a hot day. It's getting warmer out here in Maui. About to go snorkeling. You're about to, are oh, you yeah. going to go snorkeling? Yeah, Where yeah. are you going? Somewhere, yeah. some secret cove, Ryan. Cam three, mine. ah, yeah. Cam three, great yeah. spot for snorkeling. You'll go time. hang out with some turtles today. Yeah. What's really fun is there's two things you got to do with turtles when you come to Hawaii. Number one, if you see a turtle on the beach, don't mind all the cones and the and the ribbons around it that say "Don't touch." <laughs> like new, like if you're if you're new to Hawaii, you just go over and flip the turtle on its back okay. and just watch it like flail. It's Seems really like good. Reasonable yeah, it's really yeah. Just run yeah, from yeah. the cops. <laughs> and number two, if you find a turtle under the water. Like what they love is when you grab onto their shells and let them take you for a ride. So yeah. just like, it's like an underwater. Nemo all over exactly. Yeah. So make sure you do those two things <laughs> and you will be, you will have a, a great time and awesome. you have to get a tour of the county jail Perfect. all in one Perfect. day. It's huge, great. Huge. All right. Brandon and David, I very much appreciate you guys having me on board. It's been awesome. Thank you. Right, thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much, man. This is David Green for Brandon. Don't listen to his terrible advice, Turner. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs> listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.